If you are a regular listener of this podcast, you know I don't like to do much setup before the intro of the podcast. This week requires some. This week, we're starting with a scripture. It is offered as an alternative in the lectionary, but I thought it was important to include because, in many ways, it sets the foundation of the readings this week. I also have to say, whatever is about to happen, I assure you, this is Genesis 11. 1 through 11. Les habitants de la terre construisent une tour. À ce moment-là, tous les habitants de la terre parlent la même langue et ils utilisent les mêmes mots. Ils se dijeron unos à autres. Vamos, hagamos ladrillo y cosámoslo con fuego. Y les sirvió el ladrillo en lugar de piedra, y el asfalto en lugar de mezcla. Après ça, yo di, en noue, en bati yon gros la ville pour nous rete, ak yon gros gros kai touron bien haut qui rive jouk nan ciel la. Kon sa, tout moun va respecte nou. Yo pap kagaye nou tou patou sou la te. Da kam der Herr vom Himmel herab, um sich die Stadt und das Bauwerk anzusehen, das sich die Menschen errichteten. Laten wij afdalen en hun verschillende talen geven assim o senhor os espalhou pelo mundo inteiro e eles pararam de construir a cidade la città fu chiamata babele confusione perché fu lì che il signore confuse la lingua degli uomini e li disperse in tutto il mondo samdan avrama samun soyunun öyküsü tufandan iki yıl sonra sam yüz yaşındayken Oğlu Arpakşat doğdu. Bada kumza Arfaksadi, Şemu Aliyşi miyaka miyatano, akazawa toto wengine wakiume na wakike. Now the whole earth had one language, and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar, and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And Yahweh said, Look, They are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So Yahweh scattered them abroad from there, over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel. Because there, Yahweh confused the language of all the earth. And from there, 
Yahweh scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. I'm Anthony Mako. Welcome to Postmodern Liturgy. It's so good to be back. Thanks for understanding as I took last week off. I just got done leading a very successful retreat to the Pacific Northwest in the United States. Every year, I forget that although we're disconnected, I still have a whole lot of work to do as the leader of the trip. I took a bunch of stuff with me to get ahead on podcasts and never really had a chance to touch it. I'm not sad about it though because I had the chance to engage deeply with a small group of people and really drive home the themes of wonder, creation care, and the virtues of being bored. Plus, I got to know some beautiful people a whole lot better. This Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Generally speaking, it is about the arrival of the Holy Spirit, but not really the arrival since the Holy Spirit has already been at work. There are a lot of quote-unquote weird aspects to the stories for this week, so I look forward to unpacking them. One is that we deal a lot with different languages, which is why we had Genesis 11 split up into 11 different languages. I'll deal a little more with why I find that passage to be foundational to this week in the reflection. First, I should say, I may not be allowed to use the version recordings of scripture in my podcast, but, you know, too late. Since it may not have been appropriate for me to use them, I probably shouldn't say, Hey version, what's up with all the masculine voices reading scripture? I'm sorry for that. I'm just at a low-budget phase of postmodern liturgy, and I have to take what I can get. Hopefully the point was still made, though. And the point was kind of, we have no idea what's being said. But we'll get into the beauty of that more later. For now, let's dive into the readings this week. Yahweh, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there. 
living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan that you formed to sport in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of Yahweh endure forever. May Yahweh rejoice in God's works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to Yahweh as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to God, for I rejoice in Yahweh. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. Praise Yahweh. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if, in fact, we suffer with Christ, so that we may also be glorified with him.
Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does God's works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees the Spirit nor knows the Spirit. You know the Spirit because the Spirit abides with you, and the Spirit will be in you. Acts 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, 
Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the sake of time, I'm mainly going to focus on the passage in Acts and the auxiliary passage in Genesis. If nothing else is clear this week, I want to make sure it's seen that there's a connection between those two passages. Let me start here, though. We have a lot of supernatural stuff going on, especially in the passage in Acts. Winds and tongues of fire. Unbelievable things like this have a way of capturing our attention. But sometimes I think it really distracts us from the point. With Pentecost, this particular action by the Spirit is certainly a means to an end, but it's not the end itself. So I don't want us to become bogged down with those particular details. Here's why. I love baseball. And thinking about the passage this week made me think of a particular situation in baseball that I've always found funny. I'm sorry to those of you who don't love baseball but I think you'll still get the point. So picture this. It's the bottom of the ninth. The game is all tied up. There are two outs. The bases are loaded. The batter steps up to the plate and hits a grand slam. The home team wins. Obviously, everyone is thrilled. The announcer is screaming. The crowd is going wild. But here's the thing. The home team only needed one run to win. 
If the batter would have been walked, the game would have ended the same way. But there's no doubt that everyone is far more excited for a Grand Slam than a walk. So you may say, who cares if everyone is more excited for a Grand Slam? I don't really. I'm, I'm sure I get more excited for a Grand Slam also. But I think there's a particular problem that could emerge from this. The next time any batter from that team faces the same situation, they may be tempted to remember the adrenaline from the Grand Slam. And when they come up to bat, they'll swing for the fences rather than choking up on the bat and having a much better chance of hitting a bloop single, which will actually result in the game ending the same way. When you're swinging for a home run, you're a lot more likely to strike out than when you're swinging for contact. So you'd better have the end goal in mind before you come up to bat. Likewise, I think it's really important to clarify the end game of the work of the Holy Spirit here before we rush to equate the work of the Spirit with vast winds and tongues of fire. Clearly, the passage in Acts is making the passage in Genesis right again. The problem created by multiple languages is solved with the Spirit's work. But more than that, the Spirit is continuing to work towards the commitment that God made with Abraham to bless God's people so that all nations will be blessed. But, I would encourage you to consider the passage in Genesis. Many of us have read this passage, or have been told to see this passage as God's punishment for the people trying to reach God, which, if you really think about it, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I've also heard it described as the hubris of the people who were worshiping themselves instead of God. Maybe that's a little bit closer. But my view of this passage entirely changed when I encountered the suggestion that God scattered the people, and that was actually an act of grace and not a punishment. Here's how that makes sense. Most scholarship actually suggests that Genesis was written during Babylonian captivity. That's roughly around the year 600 BC. Therefore, one should always account for the fact that the authors and editors who were in diaspora at the time, may just be trying to subvert Babylonian culture. Babylon was incredibly advanced and they were quite industrious. At the core of this story is the message that industriousness will never be enough. The act of grace here is to remove that as a distraction. Furthermore, the act of grace was to remove the fallacy that being able to work together in technological advancement meant that they were the same and meant that they knew each other. Of course it became more difficult to know one another when the language changed. That simply meant they had to learn more about each other. Moving ahead to Acts. Yes, the passage in Acts has an overwhelming visual and auditory experience. In those times, this was to signify an encounter with the divine. It mimics the giving of the Ten Commandments. In essence, the Holy Spirit is God. But this encounter goes beyond the fireworks. You see, as Erdman's commentary points out, up until this point, the Spirit had rested on the Davidic leader. That is including resting on Christ. At Pentecost, the Spirit is split up among all those gathered there. A similar idea is found in the passage in the fourth gospel. Jesus is wrestling with the fact that the disciples still view him like the rest of the religious leaders view him. Instead, Jesus reveals the trajectory of the story. 
that God will remain present on the earth as the Spirit abides in the people of God. Not in David, not in Christ, in the people of God. And greater things will happen. I should note, though, the term greater here is in reference to quantity, not quality. So it's not as if Jesus is saying, I made more bread when we didn't have enough, so you'll be able to summon glory dust whenever you want. Rather, Jesus is saying, you all interacted with God through me. Think how many more people will interact with God when they encounter you all. Now, let's put those themes together. On Pentecost, we celebrate the Spirit's presence among us, but not in the singular me. We also celebrate diversity, not because God told us to, but because each tongue, each pigment, each gender, each cultural difference shows us more of the Spirit's presence and therefore shows us more about God's image. To tolerate each other for the sake of industry is rebuilding the Tower of Babel all over again. But to listen to each other, to grieve with each other, to lay down our lives for our enemies is to understand a fuller picture of the divine. Thanks for joining me again this week. It's great to be back. I'd love if you would join us online. We're at postmodernliturgy.com. We are at Postmodern Liturgy on Facebook and Instagram and at PM Liturgy on Twitter. I would love if you consider supporting our work for free by rating and reviewing the podcast or financially at patreon.com slash postmodernliturgy. If you visit our Patreon site, you can see several great benefits for our supporters. As just one example, the $5 tier on Patreon means you get downloads of all the music from the podcast that I write and record just for this podcast. I just wanted to bring it up because if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, you're in luck. I'm a couple days behind on getting that benefit out, but it's going out today. If you sign up today, I will include you in this month's downloads. I haven't really said this yet, but thank you so much to all of you who already support on Patreon. You know I'll read your names if you ever want me to. Thanks again for joining me. And enjoy the tension. Enjoy the tension.